So I, I'm going to real quickly kind of zip through my story a little bit, and then um, I'll be happy to answer any questions. Um, I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida, so I, I ended up at Birmingham in Birmingham because my dad was a minister and grew up in Birmingham, and he didn't want any of his daughters going to state schools. And so I ended up at Stanford University with my twin sister. Um, I'm a middle child by six minutes, and so that was super, super important. Um, both my sisters were real shy, so I kind of grew up loving to take care of everybody and take care of everything. Um, but I ended up at Stanford University. I studied music there, and um, middle of my junior year, I met Trey, um, who was a religion major there at the time, and we kind of were just this match made in heaven. You know, it was like, find this perfect guy, and marry, and, you know, <coughs> basically my paradigm growing up, which is really important that you know this, is kind of um, was was the undoing that God did in my life, was good choices plus the pursuit of God, um, pers- good choices plus the pursuit of godliness equals perfect life. Life was very clean and neat. Like I said, my dad was a minister growing up. He had three girls, and just it was just pretty much clean and neat. I was very protected. And um, then I go to Stanford, which is kind of, again, this Christian school, very safe. And even though I longed to be kind of away from home to kind of experience something different, it was still very safe. And so, so I say that to say... Um, Trey and I use this a lot in our ministry, a Timothy Keller quote that I've really clung to. And I and I, almost every day I have to remember that because I, I still can default to life is clean and neat. Life you, you you make this you make these choices and life turns out this, you know, this in, in this manner. And God just continues to remind me, no, that's not how it happens. Because if it's all clean and neat and perfect, we really don't need a Savior, right? We're not really desperate for anything. And so I think so much, you know, I grew up and in the church and, and as a young girl, you know, being a Christian, um, but it was, for the most part, all clean and neat. I love the clean and neat stories. I mean, even like Joseph, I, I kind of skipped through the 14 years he was in prison. It was like, no, look, he's leader over all of Egypt, you know? And so so, so I say that to say, um, Trey and I married the middle of his junior year. I had graduated in, in December, and we were part of a, a large church, uh, the Church of Brook Hills in Birmingham, you, you know, youth and children's worker, and Trey was one of the first pastoral interns. And again, just thinking that kind of God picked us on his team and we're going to go save the world, you know, and we're going to end up in Africa. That was kind of my my long-term goal is I want to end up in Africa. I'll leave my makeup here and I'll put my little skirt on and my little hair and we'll be good to go. And so, um, again, super naive and, and really understood justification. But I think for me, sanctification was, Lord, you've picked me for your team and it is sanctification through work, effort, more willpower, you know, and so, and again, I may be the Jesus that, that, you know, I may be the only Jesus that somebody meets, so I've got to have it all together, I've got to have the right thing to say, and just didn't really understand this performance treadmill that I was on, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I think being in music, and, you know, an athlete, and all that, just living in a, for the most part, a high-performance um, arena, that I felt like God was out in this audience and everything that I did, I was, I was like, are you okay? Are you, am, am, I, am I good to go? Are you okay with me? Mm-hmm. And, and st- didn't really understand what it looked like. What does it look like to rest in the finished work of Christ? It was more like, no, I've got to earn his smile. Mm-hmm. And so um, Trey and I married in 1992. Two years into marriage, we start popping out kids. And, you know, <laughs> four and a half years later, we have four children. And what I didn't really know is that Timothy Queller, Keller quote, I don't know if I just said that or not, but basically that quote is, Christianity doesn't give you what you want. It's more like an explosion that blows up everything we have 
to make room for something new. And that is what happened to me at 30. At 30. And what I'm finding is the older I get, the more emotional I get. <laughs> you know, and so y'all just have to deal with that. I will probably cry a number of times as I share because I'm just, even at this age, I'm so in awe of what God continues to do and the beauty that he brings out of brokenness, whether that's in me, um, my husband and I getting to watch God move through our kids. It's just, it's beautiful. And so anyway, so 30 years old, my husband's secret struggle with pornography came out and I had absolutely no idea. And um, again, remember, I'm on this, I'm on this performance treadmill. I mean, everything's got to look right. I'm this perfect mom, you know, you have a baby and you look great after six weeks. I mean, it was just so embedded in me. Like I have got to look like Proverbs 31 woman. And so when this happens and his secret struggle was pornography, which, which led to online chat rooms, which led into full-blown infidelity, I just literally remember, it was almost like this movie that was going on and the credits are rolling and I was like, I'm going to wake up the next morning, this is not going to be my story. And just not having a box with what to do, I had no tools on how to handle something um, this broken and this messy. And I literally remember our kids were, at the time, they were six, four, two, and six months old. I was still breastfeeding our youngest. And, you know, the enemy, as he comes to hunt and kill and steal and destroy, and as I walk with a lot of women, there's never a perfect time for brokenness to come up. It can be in the middle of childbearing. It can be in the middle of cancer. And, um, and so here we are, like, a week before Christmas. And I literally was just like, what do I do? I think if I go to bed, I, look, I think that I literally will die. I think that I don't know that a human being can handle this kind of pain. And in those moments of really struggling, like, wait, I pride myself. Wait, I thought this happens to women who don't take care of their men. Again, I was so naive. And God just began to, to slowly start the process of unraveling me. And I remember going to a counselor, Kelly Cousins, at Wellspring at the time, and, and walking in her office, and literally, as the elder brother, which I'll talk about in a minute, sitting in her room and saying, how? How, how have I come to this place? How is this happening to me? And didn't realize my huge sin of self, self-righteousness and legalism and just all that. And she said, did you forget the scripture verse that said that the enemy is coming to kill and steal and destroy? Did you think that... You would, you know, be unscathed. And I was like, yes, I did. <laughs> and I really did. And, um, and so it was kind of this process of God beginning to unravel. And I, I'm going to tell on myself a little bit through this process. And um, inevitably, we ended up divorcing. We were together for a while. We were separated for six months, came back together, and there was another indiscretion that inevitably led to divorce. Uh, but what God kept doing through this process is, am I enough? You know, because I'm like... I've never even considered divorce. Nobody's ever di- divorced in my family, and you know, here I am faced with this. And the enemy so loving, so wonderfully loved, loved to whisper things like, "You're not enough. If you were smarter, if you were prettier, if you were skinnier, if you had sex fifty times a day, or, you know, whatever that looks like." Like those were the whispers of the enemy. And so all I knew as I was beginning to understand a little bit more of of who God was in this and who I was. We naturally default, when it gets painful enough, we naturally default to what we know. Mm-hmm. And so all I knew to do was power up. You know, power up and try to, try to keep your kids from, you know, from a life of pain. And I remember over the course of our divorce at that time, you know, 
when we were at the Church of Brook Hills, I had like numbers of, of different women and men that came to me and said, you know, I went through divorce and, you know, here's something I really feel like the Lord's telling me. So it was like, okay, keep Trey alive in the house, check. You know, pray for Trey at night, check, check. You know, and all these different things. I was trying to just do it right. Now, again, I'm, I'm not going to try to make you think I'm just this godly woman or whatever. I would be in there praying with the kids, and we'd talk about camping, you know, memories and all that. And then I'd go to my bedroom, and I was like, take him out. I cannot handle this. I'm like on my knees praying before the Father going, I'm hanging on by a, by a string. Like, take him out. All I knew is that, that he was out of the picture, and the Lord would just take him out. I would not be in pain like this anymore. But what God did, I would, I would sit at the piano at night, and I... Uh, worship is a way that really exposes me. And, you know, being a music major, I would, I would sit and I'd play the piano. And God just, I mean, that, that same um, message was, am I enough? Am I enough? And are you going to believe that, you know, and he began to tell me, show me that, I didn't, that what I was experiencing was not, was, God was not up in heaven wringing his hands. That I wasn't now on plan B because this chapter is so dark and I can't see what it's going to look like. He just kept saying, I'm enough, you know, I'm enough. And so I say that to say that, you know, there, I'd have these moments of the Lord where I'm like, yes, you know, if you let go of me, I'm going to die, you know, and just, you know, that type of thing of just total desperation for God. But then, like, it's almost like the light, you know, morning would come and the light, and now I'm, like, back on this treadmill of just this total conflict. And Trey and I pretty much didn't talk a whole lot outside of co-parenting. You know, when you divorce, you're still tethered to each other for the most part. But I remember him um, traveling at this time, and he landed at Oak Mountain. So I'm still at the Church of Brook Hills, and he landed at Oak Mountain under church discipline, which, again, I, I'm going to share a little bit on this. So I'm, like, talking to Keith Nix and Bob, and I'm like, y'all are not being hard enough on him. Like, you need to keep him tethered to a process, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, telling the elders what they needed to do because I feel like they were bringing enough law into the whole situation. But, anyway, Trey is, Trey is like... Um, sharing this sermon with me from Bob. And again, our kids are at Westminster, so we're doing, going through the Heidelbergs, and, and God is sprinkling this grace into my life. Because again, when, when you are on this performance treadmill and, and striving toward perfection, grace is not that amazing. <coughs> little sinners need a little Savior. And what, what's really amazing is the work that we're doing, right? <laughs> the significance that we find in what we do. And so, um, so Trey's, Trey called me this particular day, and I remember um, him sharing something about um, Bob sharing about the woman at the well. And, you know, I didn't really, like, get cozy with conversations with Trey. Again, it was usually about kids and, and, and money. And so he's, like, talking about the woman at the well. And in my snarkiness, um, because I kind of had this mentality of, I don't have to be submissive anymore. <laughs> We're divorced. And so in my snarkiness, I was like, so do I have to go experience what the woman at the well is to experience grace like she did. And I didn't realize how much I was telling on myself at this, this point and exposing my heart. And so, my, so Trey says, well, Mel, how long do you think you can go without sinning? And we're like kind of talking about this me message. And then all of a sudden he says, well, Mel, how long do you think you can go without sinning? And so I like pause on the phone and I'm thinking and I'm thinking and I'm thinking. And I said, Two weeks. I go, two weeks without sinning. I, I, I'm really not kidding. I really did say this. And, um, and so my husband, my ex-husband, who of course is he doesn't he never reacts. He's just cool as a cucumber. And he said, "Well, if you can go two weeks, 
you know, you could put two weeks, tag it onto that two weeks, and you got a whole month. And I literally, when he said that, I started crying. And, and he was like, what's wrong? And I just remember saying, I would be so tired. And that's really, again, those moments where God exposing me going, Sweetie, your significance is not in what you do. Your significance is in the finished work of Christ. And so God really just began unraveling me through this. I'm just owning what had happened, not wanting this to be my story, but having to step into it anyway. And God really began to show me, I am that elder brother. You know, I cannot celebrate what, you know, that the prodigal has come, has, you know, he's come home and he's hungry and he's, all he wants to do is work for his father. And he throws his party. And I'm the elder brother going, look what I've done. Like, I don't want this to be my story. And God just lovingly began to reveal to me. I read um, Tim Keller's book, Prodigal God. And it was so much about that story is not the story of the prodigal. That story is the story of the two unbelieving brothers and how both failed to believe the heart of the father. And so God continued to just show me, like, you are my beloved. It is not, you do not have to earn this. Like, I am smiling in Zephaniah. I'm singing over you. You've got my smile. And therefore, you can walk in obedience. You don't have to work to get my smile. And so that's so much of what God began to do. And it was really a prodigal and an elder brother walking with the father, both beginning to see how we failed to believe the truth about the gospel and how our behavior looked different. You know, we believe something and our behavior is a direct connection to that. And God really began to show me that my self-sufficiency and my self-righteousness and my um, all the selves, you know, um, and, and really began to break me in that. And so, and, and beautifully enough that, that there was community around to walk with me and that when I am trying to be this perfect person for everybody, my mask gets loved. It never gets to penetrate into who I am. And so what does it look like for me to take that mask, mask off and to be known and to be seen for who I am? And that what has happened to me is, is shaping me, but it doesn't define me, you know, and that there's still purpose to be had and a plan and a story that he is writing in my life. And so, um, so I guess long story short, um, we were co-parenting um, fairly well after a, a number of aha moments that God really began to show me. And um, we were in counseling. I was in counseling one day, and um, a counselor lovingly showed me that I still kind of had this scar scorecard out with Trey, that if he was really doing great, I was kind of like, well, there's the Disney World dad. And when he wasn't making the decisions that I was, you know, um, you know, happy about, then I would kind of, you know, bring that trump card or scorecard out. And so this counselor, you know, lovingly shared that with me. Like, do you really want this? Like, you know, this is not really, you know, my plan here. This is not really what you need to be doing. And so when I, when I lowered that scorecard, you know, Trey and I began to, to co-parent really well. And little did I know that God was taking both of us onto a path of individual restoration where reconciliation could be had. And, um, and, and I say that to say that that was never a plan. It was interesting. A number of ladies at Westminster came to me one day, and they were like, we're praying for reconciliation. I was like, pray for me. I need prayer, but don't pray for reconciliation. <laughs> you know, I just knew that my heart couldn't, couldn't do that. Well, this particular Saturday morning, Trey came over, and we were kind of at a place where, like, we'd show up at events together, or he'd come over and help with homework or tuck the kids in. And... 
um, I guess about a week before, he asked me, he just said, you know, do you ever think about reconciliation? And I was like, no, I don't. <laughs> but I love what we have, you know, and so we just kind of start talking about that. But what I, what I did know is I could tell I was thinking about it a little bit. I didn't want to even go there, but I was thinking about it. But this particular Saturday morning, he comes over, and he, and he like, plops down on the sofa, and he was like, kids, come here. And I think at this point, they were like, I don't know, maybe 11, 10, 8, and 6. They were still young. And, um, and he basically sat the kids down. They were at Westminster at the time, and so we start talking about the Ten Commandments. And he says, you know, do you all know what um, thou shall not commit adultery is? And I think one of I, I think either Rylan or Keller in their little naivety said, Is that when mommies and daddies like other mommies and daddies, you know, and they're not supposed to? And he was like, Yeah, that's it. And so what God did in that moment, it's almost like I think I was like actually standing up and they were all sitting on kind of eyeballing this moment on the couch. But what Trey began to say was, That's what daddy did. And daddy did that multiple times and he hurt mom because we had never told him the truth. We just said daddy was, um, daddy had broke a covenant and we weren't going to be married anymore. But to watch him sit and confess to the kids, um, and to get to see my kids jump into the lap of their dad and say, I forgive you. And for them to get to experience that reconciliation and that forgiveness, it was almost like I was on this table and God's like doing heart surgery on me, you know? And so, so that's the kind of God that we serve and that forgiveness was really more about releasing me from this hellacious, you know, just tension and resentments and all that. I thought I had forgiven him, but it was in that moment that I really began to, to see God differently and to see how he create. I mean, how he creates this beauty out of our ashes. So anyway, long story short, we started seeing um, a counselor and um, failing forward in this together because now we have this history and you know, my parents probably still want to kill you and my twin sister and all that. You know, what does this look like? And so he drove to he drove to North Carolina one weekend and asked my parents for their forgiveness. And so so anyway, so we remarried, Bob remarried us in two thousand and eight. And um, you know, the the different the difference of us coming back together was, you know, two broken individuals coming to a place where we could out repent one another instead of these pedestals that we had put ourselves on early on trying to outperform each other. Mm-hmm. And so, so Bob really laid that foundation that that's who he is, that, that marriage is this opportunity for us, for the Lord to bubble up stuff in us. Mm-hmm. And that many times we think our enemy, I mean our spouse is the enemy, when, when really that's the process of sanctification that God wants to do in us. So, so that's kind of where we are. And, and um, we, we got married in 2008, and God kept bringing people into our lives um, you know, somebody would ping me on Facebook and said, you know, my husband's struggling with pornography. What do I do? And, and honestly, I was like, I'm not doing ministry again. <laughs> not doing it. Trey and I were in ministry when we were 22 and 20, and we lost ourselves. We didn't know how to say no. We were all things to all people. I was like, my family's back together. I want to move to an island. I'm good. <laughs> I'm serious. I said that probably a thousand times. And sure enough, another woman would call and would have coffee with me, and, I'll, and I'd have coffee with her, and then I'd come home, and I'm like, we're not doing ministry. You know? <laughs> I love you, God, but we're not doing ministry. Because I just didn't know that we knew what it would look like. Like, how do we have boundaries? How do we say no? How do I, how do I minister to my kids? I don't want to be ministering to everybody else, and my kids resent us, you know, because we're never, you know. So all I knew was, like, there's no way 
we can kind of create any boundaries around this. Mm -hmm. And so we ended up going to our counselor and, you know, God just, you know, he uses our, our mess to create something beautiful. I mean, we look at Chuck Colson and Prison Fellowship. It was almost like he just kept bringing people to us. And finally, I was like, okay, <laughs> I'll surrender, you know. And so it, the beautiful thing I, I think about what I get to do is I get to kind of s sit back. I was telling Ingram um, this on the way here. It's like I get to sit in a room with a woman, and I get to watch the Holy Spirit create resurrection out of death. And it is the most beautiful thing to see somebody who doesn't know what tomorrow's going to look like, doesn't know what their next breath is going to look like, and to see God breathe life back into them and purpose and, you know, whatever that looks like. So I really am just a glorified cheerleader getting to remind women of who they are in spite of what's happened to them. And so whether that's a woman who has come through um, sexual brokenness herself whether she is um, struggling significantly herself or whether she has um, been betrayed and walking through what, what all that looks like and really healing from that, or whether it's a, you know, I, I have the opportunity to talk to young girls today and just reminding them they're, that, that they're meant for more and that God's got this big story to be had, that they were created for a purpose. And so it, it kind of looks the same. I don't know that I do a whole lot different, but I do get to just watch the Lord work in the lives of of, of women and just the beauty that is that is there when they finally do recognize, okay, yeah, I am a beloved daughter. My righteousness is in Christ. And, and so I wanted to re read real quickly Heidelberg 60. We read this in our um, recovery groups every, every week. And kind of what, what Trey and I get to do, we walk with people that have been impacted by sexual brokenness and pornography and things like that, but we also get to do a lot with parents, really helping equip parents on what it looks like to um, shepherd their heart through um, technology today and healthy sexuality and to be able to say the struggle is real like, and the enemy is hunting and this is what it's going to look like and we're not going to be shocked you know, when something pops up on your phone, but you can come to us because we are safe and the Lord has a plan and we want to protect you as we walk through this. So we're, I'm real passionate about helping protect the next generation, but also having the next generation be influencers because the world is screaming a far different message um, of what that looks like. So I'm just going to read How Are You, um, How to Work Question 60, which is, is something that I kind of verse in my mind every single day as my feet hit the floor, and I naturally sometimes want to jump back on that you know, performance treadmill instead of just resting in the, in the um, Father. So how are you right with God? Answer is only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments and never having kept any of them, and even though I am still inclined toward all evil, nevertheless, without my deserving it at all, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, as if I'd never been a sinner. Sorry, as if I'd never sinned nor been a sinner, as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me, all I need to do is accept this gift of God with a believing heart. And that is the, the beauty of the gospel, is that I can rest in the finished work of Christ and that I don't, that grace is that unmerited favor. Um, I know Bob says a lot of times the purpose is the law, the purpose of the law is to see our need for grace. And that when we can walk with people I grew up understanding sympathy of, of 
hurting for people and things like that, but empathy is actually when we can walk in the shoes of another and we can love and we can share the gospel and grace without feeling like we've got to fix, fix people. But that's a little bit about Undone Redone. Um, never, ever would have thought that the story would look like this, <laughs> but it is beautifully redemptive. And um, getting to see my kids now at their ages, they're 23, 22, 21, and 17. No, sorry, 23, 21, 19, and 17. And getting to see them step into to places, whether uh, um, we, that we were part of a movie called The Heart of Man last year, and it's all about sexual brokenness, but it's also the relentless pursuit of the father after each one of us. It's this narrative of the prodigal. And my, my son, my 19-year-old, has been, like, watching it with boys on his hall. You know, and they're ta- able to talk about pornography. Um, my, you know, 40% of all Internet porn today is driven by females. And so it's not a men's problem anymore. And so a lot of the mil- millennials are needing to step into who they are. And so my daughters are having lots of opportunities as, as girls may be sending out a sex and things like that to just remind them of the same narrative of just they, they are God's beloved and there is a big story to be had. We're all created for a purpose, right? <laughs> so, um, so anyway, it's, it's really cool to see, see our kids stepping into that and that they know everything, and, um, but God does continue to show me how he redeems every part of our brokenness and that we're not... We've not screwed it up, and he's wringing his hands out, you know, in, in heaven, and we're now on this plan B, that we're on plan A, and he is sovereign, and he is good. So thanks for having me. Does anybody have any questions mm-hmm. for Melody? Sure. <laughs> Anything? I love that. As Melody, that was beautiful. How, how did you put in place? 